0: To chapter 3 and verse number 5. Yeah, verse number 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord, Out of my distress, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land. Though whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Amen. Let me just pause there and say, what, what a sign of God's grace. It came to Jonah the first time, and he ran away from it. But God would not let him go, and the word of the Lord came to him again. Let me just say, the word of the Lord comes to us until it accomplishes its purposes. And God's people should say amen. What a gift it is to us that the word of the Lord continues to come to us. So the word of the Lord came to him a second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Will all flesh as his grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass will wither and the flower will fade. But the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, again, we come before you during this time in our worship service thanking you for your word. Oh, Holy Spirit, these are your people. This is your word. Please cement, them to cement your word to their hearts. Give them a desire to follow you and to serve you. Lord, please, I am limited in what I can do, but Holy Spirit, you are limitless in what you're able to do. And so please speak loudly, even above my voice, Speak to the hearts of your people that they might be transformed by the power and the renewal that comes from the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, so far, um, we've looked at chapter 2 now for two weeks. We looked at major themes in chapter 2. And one of the ways in which you study the book of Jonah is through these major themes. That's so important. And one major theme that we saw was the theme of God's sovereignty, the fact that God has the power and the ability to do whatever He wants to do because He is the Creator, but He exercises this sovereignty in a loving way towards all who are created in His image. We also saw the theme of God's providence, the fact that God works His acts of promises. That is his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving and governing of all his creation and their actions. That all of that again is for your good and his glory. We also looked at the theme of God's grace and how God's grace is overwhelming towards the sinner. But God's grace is not something that you can work for. God's grace is not something that you can purchase. God's grace is not something that you could be good enough to obtain. But God's grace should be received simply because of your sin and your brokenness. And you receive that in faith. And that's what we saw from Jonah in chapter 2. But there's one more theme I need to put before you. And chapter 2, all of these themes kind of coalesce in chapter 2 as you look through. And there are much more themes, but there's one more theme I want to put before you. Because otherwise you'll get weary of me preaching on chapter 2 of Jonah. And the final theme I want to give you of chapter 2 into chapter 3, as I just read, in the book of Jonah, is the theme of mission. Of mission. Christian, do you know that you were saved to go on a mission for the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? In fact, the theme of mission is very strong in the book of Jonah, as we will see. Now, here's the thing about mission. Mission is in in a crisis or somewhat of a crisis in our society today. The idea of mission, the idea of calling, the idea that when you became a Christian or if you are in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God is calling you specifically to something. That's in a crisis today. Most people, when they think of the mission of the church, most people don't even know the mission of the church. Most people don't even know what we're called to. Like we think coming to church is all about making connections or coming to church is all about maybe uh, something to do on a Sunday or, or whatever we think uh, church is on a Sunday. And there's all sorts of people when I read blogs or when I read on the internet, so many people are confused about what the mission of the church is, what their calling is, that it's baffling. And the reason why it's baffling is because it's so clear in God's word. The calling of the Christian, the calling of the church, is simply to make disciples. Make disciples. That's what we're here for. That's why you became, that's why God saved you, is to be a disciple maker. This church exists as an outpost of the kingdom of heaven to make disciples. We're discipleship making outposts. That's the only reason why we exist. And let me say this today, if you are not making disciples, if you're not actively pursuing making disciples as a Christian, you will die on the vine and Christianity will make no sense to you. No sense. If you are not pursuing making disciples, Christianity will make no sense to you. And if we are a church that are not actively making disciples, I guarantee in 50 years we won't be here. We won't be here because we have missed the purpose of why church exists. You wanna wanna find the most effective way you can minister to your family, make disciples. The next generation demands that we make disciples of them. That's what they need. That's the calling of the Christian. Notice our, I I don't know how many of you notice this, but notice our bulletin. On our bulletin, we have a vision. A vision is typically what you wanna see happen in the life of the church. We want to see lives transformed through following Jesus. Amen. You know, I want to see lives transformed through following Jesus, and I hope you do too. My life has been tremendously transformed by following Jesus, and I hope you can be sitting there today and said, yes, Pastor Dennis, I'm with you. My life has been completely transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you are sitting there and you can't say that, that's a sign that your life probably hasn't been transformed through following Jesus, and it needs to be. So that's our vision is to see lives transformed through following Jesus. But notice the mission. What does the mission say? Making disciples. Why does it say that? It's not because we were sitting around and thinking, you know, that would be a good idea for us to do. No, no, no. That's because the mission of the church is to make disciples. That's because our mission as believers. Is to make disciples. We are on a mission and on a journey to make disciples. And if we are not doing that, we, we're not being Christian. And this church is not existing to the glory of God. Right? That's why we're here. And that's why the stated mission of this church, the stated mission of CVBC, and its elders agree because they signed off on this statement, is to make disciples and how? through worship, that's why worship is paramount around here, through fellowship, that's why we provide fellowship opportunities, and through service. And that's why we often call on people to serve one another. And the reason why I want to state this up front is because when you think about what is at the core of Christianity, the kernel of Christianity, it's that one statement, make disciples. And if you are not making disciples, Go home, after you leave here, go home and pray that God will give you a passion and a desire to make disciples, because there's no way you will be able to live uh, the Christian life that God has called you to without this firm and basic desire. No way that's going to happen. And if you feel like this church isn't on the mission of making disciples, you need to tell us because we want to be. We desperately want to be. Now, I mention all of that to say this as well. Jonah missed this point. If you read through the book of Jonah, Jonah completely missed the reality that God made him a prophet, called him to be a prophet, so that he could be about the mission of Yahweh. He thought God made him a prophet so that he could just go to his people, that God can make him a prophet so he could enjoy the fruits of being a prophet. But Jonah completely missed why Yahweh called him to be a prophet, and that is to be a disciple maker. And so today, very briefly, I want to show you two things about Jonah. I want to show you the purpose of the mission that Jonah was called on. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this, how Christ ultimately fulfills that purpose, not just in Jonah's life, but in our life as well. First of all, the purpose of Jonah's mission— Go to go to chapter one and verse one and notice again, we've read this a bunch of times, but this is so helpful even now to understand what is what what Yahweh was trying to do. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for the evil has come up before me. What is God asking Jonah to do? The same thing he asked Jonah to do in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, which we read. And it's this. Jonah was called to go to a pagan land and proclaim the message of the gospel. That's what Jonah was called to do. That's Jonah's mission. That's what he was being asked to do. Did Jonah understand that? Obviously he didn't because Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. He didn't want to do what Yahweh had called him to do. Now pause for a moment and think to yourself, why did Jonah run? Why did he run? Well, we looked at that in chapter 4. Jonah ran because he knew God was gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. But Jonah ran for another reason. He didn't understand his place in redemptive history and ultimately what God was trying to call him to do as a Christian. And for all of us to understand that, I want you to pause here and I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, from a, Bible, from, from, your, like, from a biblical theological standpoint, or just from a Bible standpoint, if you want to understand how the Bible works, you need to understand Genesis 12. Because in Genesis 12, we get clearly the first mention of gospel mission in the Bible. Now, some of you will say, well, Pastor Dennis, isn't it Genesis 3.15? Right? Or isn't it? Isn't it um, Adam and Eve in the garden? Isn't it the Noahic covenant? I would argue it's the Abrahamic covenant. Notice what God asked Abraham to do. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And notice this last line. Because this line is the line of mission. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was Abraham's mission. Abraham's mission was that he was called out to call to. That he was blessed so that he can be a blessing. This if if you trace the Abrahamic covenant throughout the Bible, every single covenant, every string and calling of the Christian is in relation to this one thing that you and I are called out from among others so that we could be called to others that you and I are blessed so that we can be a blessing. So what is Jonah being asked to do? Jonah is being asked to fulfill the the Abrahamic covenant. That's what Jonah is being asked to do. He's being told by God, look, I have set you apart, not so that you could just be a prophet and live in Israel, but so that you may be able to go out and make disciples of others. That was Jonah's task. And Jonah ran from that. Jonah ran from that because he didn't understand his calling, his high calling. Jonah was being asked by God to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant in a way that not even Abraham fulfilled. He was being asked to fill the the demands of the Abrahamic covenant in a way that only Messiah was able to fulfill. No one prior to, to Jonah was asked to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant like this, to go to other nations to go outside of his country and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, did Jonah embrace this calling? Well, obviously, no. You read through the book of Jonah and you see, obviously, he did not obey this calling. In chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, Jonah flatly disobeyed God and he ran away. In, chapters, uh, in chapter 1, verse 4 and 6, we see Jonah being spiritually indifferent. In verse number 9 of chapter 1, we see Jonah being a hypocrite. In verse number 12 of chapter 1, we see Jonah practicing fatalism, where he says, God, kill me. I would rather die. Be, throw me into the sea. And then in chapters, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, down to the end of chapter 2, We see Jonah's incomplete repentance, that even though he repented before Yahweh, later on we see that Jonah dismissing that repentance by saying, I want to die now that the Ninevites have been saved. And then if you look at chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, you see Jonah half-heartedly, half-heartedly preaching the gospel to the Ninevites. And what's interesting to me, what's profound to me, Is that Jonah is the most successful prophet in the Old Testament, but he was also the most miserable prophet in the Old Testament. Why? Because he didn't want to accept the mission that God has placed before him. Jonah said at the end, after he completed God's mission, he said at the end that he felt dead inside. He wanted to die. He wanted to die rather than accept the mission that God has placed before him. And let me say this. The mission that God has called us to as Christians, to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel, to go out into the world and make disciples, is a problematic and hard mission. Listen to Stanley Harawas, an American theologian. Here's what he says about the mission of the Christian. He said, Christians' lives would be less complicated less painful, more under our control, and safer if Christ had not cared for us by commandeering for us his mission, but they wouldn't be the lives intended for us by God. I want you to pay attention to what he's saying because I think it's profound. He said that oftentimes as a Christian, as you try to live out the mission of Christ in the world, Your life becomes complicated. It becomes painful. You lose control. You lose the sense of safety. All because of what God has called you to. For For the past year, at least, I've been looking at people, Christians, average Christians like you and I, who've deconstructed their faith. Now, the whole concept of deconstruction is this. It's when a Christian comes to a point in their life where they look at their faith and they begin to question f- their faith. Is the Bible real? Is the Trinity true? How do I know that everything coming from the pulpit is true? How do I know that everything that the pastor says is true? Do I truly believe Christianity? Deconstructionism is huge. And one of the things I realize as I listen to these deconstructionists is that they are at a place of incredible loss. One of them actually said this. He said that after he deconstructed his faith, he has been the happiest that he's ever been in his entire life. And when I heard that statement, I said, I get it. I get it. I actually understood what he was saying. Because if you look at the Christian life, it would be so much less complicated if my faith agreed with whatever I was reading in the world about sexuality about justice, my faith would be so much less complicated if I simply believed whatever the doctrine of the world is telling me about every area of my life. I would have more friends. I would get along with people better. I mean, I could just go down the line, right? Our lives would be so much less complicated as Christians if we believed what the world was saying about a host of issues. I'll tell you this as well, my life would be a lot less painful. Church hurt is real. I mean, there are people sitting down here today that have been profoundly hurt and damaged from the church. And they're thinking to themselves, well, who wants that? Who wants to be hurt in that way? Who wants to experience the pain of being in community? And also, my life would probably be a little bit more uh, under control. Sometimes my life feels very much out of control. It feels like I have no control over my schedule, no control over how others feel, no control over the situations in my life. I tell you my life will also be safer. Absolutely, I understood what this man was saying when he deconstructed his faith. I get it. But here's a question that I would have for him. Is that the life that God wants you to have? Does God want you to have a life free, free, completely free of complication, of pain, completely safe? The Bible tells me no. The Bible tells me that God says in this life you will have tribulation. That's a part of the Christian life. And so often, like Jonah, we miss that the mission comes with peril. There are times when you go through the Christian life where you just don't feel like being a Christian. That you feel like giving up. That in your mind, it's boring. In your mind, it's costly. In your mind, it seems to go against everything the world is saying. We're no different than Jonah. When God calls us to the mission and we think about it and we start confronting the world, there is pain, there is suffering, there is loss, there is confusion. We lose friends, we lose family. And you're wondering, what is all of this for? What is all of this for? What am I doing, Lord? It seems like every time I proclaim your name or I talk to somebody, I get rejected. Why are you allowing us to go through this? This is what Jonah is saying. And he goes on to say later on in the book, why are we doing this? But Christian, we should pause and think this is the life that God has called us to. We're called to bear under the weight of suffering with patience. And I love that word patience in the Bible. The word patience in the Bible has the idea of bearing underneath a weight. You know, one of my favorite um, sports in the Olympics is weightlifting. I can't lift that much. Right? I'm awful at weightlifting, never had any strength, but I love weightlifting. And one of my favorite ones is the clean and jerk. You all know what I'm talking about? Everybody knows what the clean and jerk is. It's like when you, you, know, you do this, and then they do this, and they hold up, right? And they have to wait. They can't just like lift it up and then throw it down. What do they have to do? They have to wait, and they have to bear underneath that weight until the light goes off, and they hear that ding. And then what do they do? They drop the bar. You know, that's the reality of the Christian faith. That we pick up that bar and we hoist it over our head and then we wait. We wait until the Lord brings relief. And so many of us want a Christian life devoid of pain, devoid of suffering, where everybody loves us and likes us. And everything's going smoothly. That's the Christian life we want. But you know, even if your life was like that, that's not the life that God calls us to because it's bearing underneath the weight that you and I become strong. Look, I know how frustrating the Christian life gets. I know we often get hurt, I know that we often struggle and we don't see the fruits of our labor. I know how hard it is to wake up in the morning and want to read your Bible and want to pray, but you just feel dead inside. And it doesn't feel like God is doing anything in your life at all. But let me tell you, that's not a reflection of the mission. That's you bearing underneath the weight. Hold on. That light is coming. That sound is coming where you can drop that weight. And rest in Christ. And that's what Jonah was being called to. And that's what we're being called to. That in the midst of the mission, it is hard and painful, but we persevere. Christian, don't deconstruct your faith because things are challenging. Don't deconstruct your faith because the world disagrees with your faith. Don't deconstruct your faith. Because you're in the midst of toil uh, toil and turmoil in your life. Bear underneath the weight until God comes and delivers us. This is the essence of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Yes, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints says, yes, when we are believers, when we get saved, we're saved for all eternity. But another aspect of the doctrine of the perseverance of the faith is that you and I are called to persevere with patience in the midst of struggle. Are you doing it? Are you in the process of deconstructing? Hit the pause button on the deconstructing. And continue to trust and persevere in what God has given you as his mission. Now quickly, how does Christ ultimately fulfill that purpose? How does Christ fulfill the purpose here that we see that was given to Jonah? Jonah goes out and he preaches the word to these Ninevites. And the Ninevites are repent. We're going to look at that more next week. But how do we see Christ in this mission? In Matthew 12, 38 through 42, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says to the Pharisees, I will show you the sign of Jonah, that I'll be in in the earth three days and three nights. And this statement by Jesus captures the essence of his work in the life, not just of the people who were around him, but his mediatorial role in redemptive history all the way through. It's, it's an awesome statement. I wish I have time. By the way, if you're looking for a Bible study, please study Matthew chapter 12. It's incredible because Jesus likens himself to David. Jesus likens himself to Solomon. He likens himself to Jonah. I mean, it's just a wonderful passage showing how Jesus fulfills all of these aspects in the Old Testament, but particularly, particularly in Jonah where he says, I am going to be in the belly of the whale, uh, I'm going to be in the earth three days and three nights. And it's mentioned right here in Jonah chapter 117. In that one statement, what is Jesus saying? It's profound to you and I, and here is this. Jesus identifies with Jonah, who by all accounts is the worst prophet in Jewish history. This guy is like... A, It's madness when you read Jonah's. Like, I wouldn't, I know unbelievers who wouldn't act like this. And here's Jonah acting like this. And you're like, God, what are you doing? Why are you identifying with the worst prophet in history? And God is saying, Don't you get it? I identify with all of you. Don't you understand? This isn't about Jonah, this is about my redemptive role in history. That when we read Jonah 2 and we see the success that Jonah has, in spite of his own sinfulness, one will come who will not be unwilling, but he will be willing. And he won't just come and preach to the Ninevites. He will come and preach to all. And that there's one who will come who won't just give his life or attempt to give his life for some sailors. He's going to come and he's going to give his life for all. That when Christ said that he he likens himself to Jonah, he's saying that the mission that you see Jonah fulfilled, there is a greater mission I will fulfill through my coming, through my death, through my burial, and through my resurrection. That what we see in Jonah is but a shadow of what has happened and what will continue to happen in the people of God. That the glorious aspect of the gospel is that sometimes we are unwilling and even unable to do what God has called us to do. And yet there is one who will come who is the greatest of them all, and he is willing, and he is able, and he did it. That's the power of the message of Jonah. That's the power of mission. And here's where it gets gooder. Pardon my language right? Here's where it gets better. What gets better is that when Christ came, died, and rose again, he conscripted us in his mission. And he told us to go out into the world and make disciples. And as we are called to make disciples, he's bringing us into covenant, but he's not only doing that He's saying, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. And so he puts his blessed Holy Spirit in us to accomplish that mission. And so now you and I get to participate in that mission. We get to participate in that mission as husbands. We get to participate in that mission as fathers. We get to participate in that mission as co-workers. All of us get to participate in the mission of making disciples. And so, Christian, it's on you now. It's on you to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel. Your savior has done everything. He has made salvation possible. He's given you the power of the Holy Spirit. He's promised you his presence. There is nothing you lack to accomplish the mission that Jesus Christ has given you. The only question before us today is, are you willing? Are you willing? Yes, the mission will be hard. Yes, you will be hurt. Yes, it will be confusing. Yes, you will be rejected by the world. But it's the life that he has called us to, and no other life is acceptable. You may be happy not doing that mission, but not for long. Not for long. Because only happiness is only found in accomplishing the mission that God has given us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, certainly, the theme of mission permeates your word, permeates every aspect of this book of Jonah, but it permeates who we are as believers, that we are called to make disciples, that this church is a discipleship-making outpost of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, may that be a reality for us. We thank you that we have everything we need to do it. We could even see you going to the ends of the earth to make it possible for Jonah. Help it to be possible for us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.